Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 492 for the 8th of May, 2016. This week, how to create a high-quality video using just your smartphone. The New York Public Library opens a treasure trove of high-resolution historical images on its website, usable by anyone without cost. In short circuits, Opera builds an ad blocker into its browser. What follows Moore's Law might have something to do with Schrodinger's cat. Mobile devices get smarter, and Unplugged could be coming to YouTube in 2017. In spare parts, only on the website, spreadsheets are useful, but they're not always the best choice. Share It, a Chinese sharing app, claims 500 million users worldwide, and Information Week names the 100 companies it says makes the best use of technology. Sometimes I really wish time travel was possible. Going back to 1965 and telling a television news photographer that in the next century it would be possible to use a pocket-sized camera to record and produce video would be astonishing. At that time, video on the evening news was film, hence the term film at 11. And if I told the TV news photographer that the pocket-sized video production studio could also be used to make phone calls, I probably would find myself in the custody of mental health authorities. Then I'd have to tell them that the video studio with a phone attached could also be used to manage appointments and send messages electronically. So it's probably good that time travel doesn't exist. Adobe Premiere Clip is now available for both Apple and Android phones. Not only can you capture video on the phone, but you can do some of the editing there, too. Editing as in trimming and rearranging scenes. Editing as in adding music. You can't do everything on the phone, of course. If you want to do more editing, fancy stuff, you need to upload the video via Creative Cloud to Premiere Pro. I grabbed some quick video of an office holding the phone the way most people hold it for videos. That's vertically. You really should rotate the phone 90 degrees to get a video that's more likely to fit your television or computer monitor. More about that in a bit. Each clip of the video can be modified. In my first test case, I had only a single clip for a quick experiment, so I added a color effect to it. For videos that have multiple scenes, and most probably will, you can have the application cut them together for you. It seems to favor extremely short scenes, and it doesn't always arrange the scenes in the order you'll prefer. I generally use the manual process. When you edit manually, you specify in points and out points for every scene, and which order the various clips occur in. In most of my videos, and probably yours too, the shots aren't taken necessarily in the order you'll want them for the finished work. 
Sometimes a cutaway shot will be trimmed so that different parts of it can be used throughout the video. If the video has usable sound, you can leave it alone, make it louder, or make it softer. Clip can adjust music that you add to the soundtrack so that it automatically dips when the audio associated with the video is running. I found this to be a bit heavy-handed, though. Adobe Clip offers users a range of music, too. It'll automatically conform the length of the music to the video. Just select the music you prefer and add it. You can add your own music, either on the phone or when you get back to the desktop or notebook computer, with Adobe Premiere. I have a couple of little videos on the TechBiter Worldwide website, so make sure you check them out. If your on-phone video is complete, you can publish it directly to YouTube, save it to your Adobe Gallery, send it to Premiere Pro, or stow it in your Creative Cloud account. I thought I'd see what I could accomplish with a few more clips, so I drove to Worthington's McConnell Arts Building and shot from several various angles. Back at the house, I arranged the video clips. I could have done that in the car at the McConnell Arts Center, but I decided to come back home. I trimmed most of the clips, split some of them, and added music. The video was done entirely on the phone. And this time, I held the phone the right way, horizontally. If you have a smartphone, and who doesn't these days, be sure to download Adobe Premiere Clip. And if you don't have a Creative Cloud membership, you can download at least a free trial version from the Adobe website. Give it a try, but don't be too surprised if you decide you want to keep Adobe's Creative Cloud after the free trial period. first of the year, the New York Public Library gave everyone a remarkable gift. 180,000 high-resolution historical images from its public domain collection. The images, which include drawings, maps, letters, manuscripts, photographs, posters, and more, are available without restriction, completely without restriction. Some of the images were available previously, although at a lower resolution, Obtaining the higher-resolution images would have required paying a processing fee until now. You'll find the images on the Digital Collections section of the New York Public Library website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And I included on the website this week three pictures. One is the Triborough Bridge in 1935. Built by Robert Moses, the Triborough Bridge became a prime example of how larger roads simply lead to more traffic congestion. At the time, though, it was a marvel. Wandering around New York City is interesting, whether on foot or via Google Earth. Now the New York Public Library's remarkable collection of historical photographs adds a new dimension to armchair travel. I also included a picture of the Empire State Building taken from Washington Square in 1936. It's an almost unrecognizable view of the Empire State Building, Washington Square is about 30 blocks from the Empire State Building. And these days, the skyline between those two points is a lot more full than it was in 1936. The last image I included is a picture of the Triangle Shirtwaist Company in the Ash Building, taken in 1911. 
I had been reading a book about the fire in 1911 in which more than 140 people died. Although the book had several pictures, the one I included from the newspaper clearly shows some of the problems with the way the factory on floors 8 through 10 of the building was operated and the complete inadequacy of the fire escape. The building, by the way, still stands. It's now the Brown Building of Science, part of New York University. Biology and chemistry classes are held there now. One of the collections I found to be particularly interesting incorporates 344 images in a section called Changing New York. In short circuits, ads, are they good or bad? People who provide information on the internet, journalists, bloggers, whatever you want to call them, have expenses. People have shown overwhelmingly, though, that they will not pay for content on the internet. Some subscribe to the New York Times. Those of us who still pay for a printed newspaper usually have access to the newspaper's website. But most people simply will not pay. So, the people who provide information have to find a way to monetize the service. Enter the commercial broadcast model. The service is free. Free, but you pay for it by being a product that advertisers buy. Although I would prefer content without ads, I tolerate some ads because I understand the economics. If a site provides ads that play music, flash on and off, or move around, though, I block them. Maybe you do something similar. Now, Opera is including a built-in ad blocker in its browser for computers, as well as for the Opera Mini browser for Android. Opera says that 60 million people use Opera for computers, and almost 120 million use Opera Mini for Android every month. Integrating ad blocker technology into the browser code makes Opera faster on computers, according to the developers. The change is also important for mobile devices where online ads take up limited screen space, slow browsing, and increase the data load. For mobile users, there's an added advantage to removing the online ads, reduced data plan usage that might result in a cost savings on your data bill. Although the functions are built in, you do need to activate them if you want to use them. On Opera Mini, under the O menu, just tap the Data Savings Summary. From there, toggle Block Ads On. On Android, the ad blocker is available in both High and Extreme Savings modes. If you have Opera on a computer, the integrated ad blocker can be enabled in Settings, a dialog shows statistics on how many ads you've blocked overall, as well as on the current page. You can also compare the web page's load speed with and without ad blocking. Gordon Moore is nearing 90, and the law he created seems to be running on empty. Moore, a co-founder of Intel, said that over the history of computing hardware, 
The number of transistors in a dense integrated circuit has doubled approximately every two years. He said that back in the mid-1960s. He predicted that that would continue, and hence the statement became a law. But as I mentioned, Moore made that observation in the mid-1960s, and he was thinking primarily about the period from the 1970s through the mid-1980s. Well, it's now 2016. The number of transistors is no longer doubling every two years. So what's next? Tech leaders think it's quantum computing. Semiconductor manufacturers around the world have regularly created a report called the International Technology Roadmap for Semiconductors. The current report is thought to be the last in the line because Moore's Law no longer holds. There is a limit to how small transistors can be, and they're approaching that limit right now. The future of computing will involve something other than silicon, maybe something like graphene, or maybe quantum computing. Today's computers are based on zeros and ones, yes and no, on or off, true or false. However you want to think about it, there are only two states, zero and one. So maybe it's time for quantum computing, and that makes me think of Schrodinger's cat. Here's what Wikipedia has to say on that subject. Schrodinger's cat is a thought experiment, sometimes described as a paradox, devised by Austrian physicist Erwin Schrodinger in 1935. It illustrates what he saw as the problem of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics applied to everyday objects. The scenario presents a cat that may be simultaneously both alive and dead, a state known as quantum superposition. This as a result of being linked to a random subatomic event that may or may not occur. The thought experiment is also featured in the theoretical discussion of the interpretations of quantum mechanics. So a quantum computer would have three possible states for each bit. Zero, one, and both. This isn't possible in the physical world. A light bulb can't be both on and off at the same time. And this bit of uncertainty, according to those who spend all day thinking about these things, could make it possible for computers to solve certain kinds of problems faster. Researchers at IBM are experimenting with quantum computing. In fact, IBM created a 5-qubit quantum computer on its cloud server so that anyone can use it for research. IBM says it has been working on quantum computing for 35 years. That echoes a statement made by IBM when Apple introduced the personal computer. IBM said then that it had been working on personal computers for years. Oh, by the way, light bulbs are effectively on and off at the same time when they're on. With standard 60 hertz alternating current, the kind you find in your house, a light bulb is off twice each second and on twice each second. The bulb is fully eliminated when the voltage reaches a positive 120 and a negative 120. It's off when the voltage is zero. It just happens so fast that we can't detect it. And, in fact, with incandescent light bulbs, the ones with a filament, it's not perceptible because the light doesn't go out. This involves thermal constants and other arcane stuff. Light-emitting diodes actually do go dark 120 times a second, at least so I'm told, but I sure can't see it.
Qualcomm says it is offering what the company calls its first deep learning software development kit for devices powered by Qualcomm Snapdragon 820 processors. The SDK is intended to give OEMs a powerful, energy-efficient platform for delivering better experiences for the users of mobile devices. Mobile devices include the expected smartphones and security cameras, for example, but it also includes automobiles and drones. They're mobile, after all. The SDK is expected to make it possible for these devices to detect scenes, track objects, and avoid collisions. It's also anticipated that the devices will include improved recognition of gestures, face recognition, and natural language processing. The demand for untethered, mobile, learning-driven user experiences is increasing rapidly, and Qualcomm's technologies customers have been clamoring for tools to help them realize their product visions. Uh, those are not my words. Those are the words of Gary Brotman, Director of Product Management at Qualcomm Technologies. With the introduction of the new Snapdragon Neural Processing Engine SDK, we are making it possible for myriad sectors, including mobile, Internet of Things, and automotive, to harness the power of Qualcomm Snapdragon 820 and make high-performance, power-efficient, on-device deep learning a reality. The Snapdragon Neural Processing Engine SDK is expected to be available for Snapdragon 820 processors in the second half of this year. continuing move to be everything for everybody, Alphabet, formerly Google, has its YouTube division working on a paid subscription plan that will stream some cable channels over the internet. Reportedly, the service will be called Unplugged, and it'll start sometime next year. YouTube already has a paid subscription service called Red, but the new service would add premium content. The concept of streaming cable television via the internet isn't new, YouTube has been working on it for at least three years. Amazon and Apple are working on similar projects. Dish Network and Sony already have services. Currently, most of YouTube's revenues come from advertising. The company's looking for a way to increase the income from other sources. Insiders have said the company's goal is to develop a package that costs less than $35 a month. Dish charges $20 a month for its Sling service. That service, however, lacks most popular programs. In addition to over-the-air television, competitors include cable providers themselves and streaming services such as Netflix and Hulu. Spare Parts is not a competing service, but you'll find it only on the website. This week, spreadsheets are useful, but they're not always the best choice. ShareIt, a Chinese sharing app, claims 500 million users worldwide. And Information Week names the 100 companies it says makes the best use of technology. TechBiter Worldwide is not on that list. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.